Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Fan Fuel Motorsports Podcast. This is episode 77 of the podcast where fans fuel talk about motorsports. And uh, if you look below Nathan and I, you see a familiar face of Keith Merrick. But uh, I think we've we've patterned this out that if, if, if a person comes on our show more than three times, we make them a part of the family. So as you've seen in our promo for tonight, uh, Keith Merrick is now a part of the Fan Fuel hosting team. Welcome in. Thank you very much for having me. All right. How does that make you feel? You happy? Oh, man. It's it's cool to have a dedicated podcast to jump onto. I love uh, shooting the shit with you guys and to be doing this on a hopefully weekly basis, depending on how the schedule falls, um, yeah. is uh, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. And uh, it's really um, not only a good thing for us just because, you know, we like you and you're <laughs> – one of the only Chase Elliott fans that is even tolerable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, we we appreciate it because it came at the right time with me getting my new position and everything. That Now, uh, with what happened tonight with Colton, who's not on because of a work thing, um, and you and I having alternating schedules and Nathan with his school stuff, we have a core group of four or five guys that are going to be able to rotate hosting uh the show so it's gonna live on despite life happening which makes me really excited <laughs> nathan speaking of school uh how's that going because you've been off that's that's busy man like usually it's uh whichever weeks i'm not busy i get on here and then whichever weeks i'm super busy then i usually just focus on that which it's never like it's you can never predict it it's sometimes it's every other week sometimes it's no week sometimes it's a couple weeks in a row so it, it all depends. So check out our website. We'll try to get some articles out in case I can't make it here all the time. So that's, yeah, that's what Nathan, I've been doing lately. Nathan's been putting up some pretty good articles lately. Um, and, of course, earlier in the season, uh, we had people like Rodney Childers uh, retweeting his articles and stuff. So obviously they're good if people in the industry are, are taking their time out of their day to read them. Um, and, you know, some of us have been saying they're going to put articles out. Not I don't know who that is. Um, I don't know about that, but uh, we'll get into it. Uh, but we had the Bristol Night Race this weekend, uh, triple header, um, and I guess actually a quadruple header because ARCA was there this week, weren't they? Yes. Uh, yeah, they yeah. were. So um, I didn't watch the ARCA race. Did you guys watch the ARCA race by any chance? I wasn't able to watch the ARCA race because I was out, but I did come back for the truck race. Okay. Yeah, well, ARCA, definitely not um, what it used to be. I think everybody consistently yeah. says they'd rather see the mods there anyways um, because that used to be the thing back in the day to see the modifiers running faster laps than the cup cars. Um, but we did have a triple header weekend for the National Series, starting with the trucks. And um, first off, we had a first-time winner, and that was Ty Majeski. Um, so what did you guys think about that? Oh man, it was good to see that because if you've gone back and looked at the past couple of races, he's been really close. I think IRP was a race that he pretty much had in the bag before a bunch of cautions came out. Uh, he's always been good. He just hasn't really had much of a chance to show that because if you watch the broadcast, they said that once he left Roush, he pretty much worked for Thor Sport on the team before they let him drive part-time. And then once they did that, they figured he was good enough to go full-time and it took him a while, but I think it's pretty fair to say that he's finally, finally something went his way. That's all it really took for him to win. Yeah. Um, 
Simon Jeske, he's a really, really great late model racer. Um, he's a great iRacing driver. Um, you know, he's a snowball derby champion, narrowly lost the, the Slinger Nats a few years ago to Matt freaking Kenseth. So he is a, a wheel man and a half. And um, it's really cool to see all that hard work pay off, um, especially for a team like Thorsport. Thorsport is a decorated team in, in NASCAR, defending champions with Ben Rhodes, um, three-time champions with Matt Crafton. So I think it's a really good fit. Um, and Bristol is right up his alley. It's a short track, high banked, high speeds, and um, it really, really fit into his wheelhouse. So Tom and Jesse did a great job. And um, to see him punch his ticket into the final four is pretty darn cool. Yeah. Um, something you said about this being right up the alley. I, I kind of want to talk about that a little bit more in detail later with Chris Busher winning um, and, and, and some of the stuff there. Um, because it's interesting that this short track seems to have gotten so fast over the last couple of years that it doesn't even race like a short track anymore. So I'll, we'll talk a little bit uh, greater detail with, with Cup. Uh, with the cup race, but I think it's interesting that you brought up, you know, it's just something that he's used to, but you know, he's, he was a part of the JRM um, late model program. I think he also raced for uh, maybe Roush late models when he was driving the 60 car as well. So it's very interesting uh, to me that you would, you would point that out. He's shown talent, but he's also like the Josh Berry of high racing because <laughs> It's, it's very interesting because he actually did come from iRacing, unlike William Byron and them. And so it's very interesting just to see his progression because iRacing has been on his cars, his trucks for the whole time, um, and now he's got to win. So I don't know. I think I just rambled on and just did a circle and then got to no point. So <laughs> I apologize for that. Um, it's uh, – yeah, Sure. Congratulations, Tomajeski. Um, he is in the final four, though. Um, so uh, I did want to and have a lot more points uh, regarding uh, the truck playoffs, and we'll we'll kind of go over the standings right now. Um, it is mid September, uh, the twenty first day of September. If you didn't know, uh, I've been singing that song all day long. Um, Tomajeski is the first of the final four, and you've got guys outside right now of John Hunter Nemechek, Christian Eckes, Grant Enfinger, and Ben Rhodes. Um, three of those um, of his teammates uh, with Crafton being eliminated in the first round. Um, first of all, let's talk about the guys that are under the cut line versus the guys that are above the cut line. Because when you look at the names Stuart Friesen, Zane Smith, and Chandler Smith, as well as Tom Jeske, who got the win, I think that this is a very lopsided version of, of the standings, if you think about it uh, from a from a truck series perspective. Yeah, absolutely. You too. Yeah. Um, so, what what did Bristol bring that uh, those three guys had over the quintessential favorites? I guess in the uh, playoffs right now. I'm not really sure. I feel like it's a weird playoffs for trucks because there's not really a lot of races and there's only a couple guys that, that aren't going to make the next round. So I don't know whether or not, whether or not the true favorites are always going to get in there because it's always kind of a surprise because the points gaps are really small. Yeah. The points gaps are small. And on top of that, the schedule is so wide, you know, I, I, 
started the playoffs in June, and now it is, like we said, mid-September, and we are just starting round number two. While the NASCAR Cup Series, they started their playoffs three weeks ago, and they're already in round two heading into this week at Texas. So it is such a different a different dynamic going on with the Truck Series. There's a lot of time for trucks to work on their, their things back at the shop. Um, a lot of time for drivers to hop into um, sim rigs and see how their tracks work. Um, but it's also such very different racetracks. Like we just raced at Bristol and now our next race that we have on the truck series schedule is going to be Talladega, which that is such a hit or miss track for so many race teams. And as we've seen the last two seasons in the truck series, Spencer Boyd and Tate Fogelman were the two race winners of those events. Um, nowhere to be found in the playoffs, but that is entirely the the point of Talladega is the fact that you're going to have a lot of drivers that have never won a race or are not even in contention, that they're going to put a big sponsor on their truck and they're going to try to go balls to the wall. And that's just how this is going to work out. And then we're going to go to another half-mile short track in Martinsville. And that, we have seen it time and time and time again. I think last year we had an absolutely psychotic ending to that race. Yeah, So to say the least. Yeah, (laughs) so um, it is going to be intense the next two weeks. And so I know the time of Jeske has his feet up, man. He's going to go to Phoenix and he's going to be all right. These next two weeks for, you know, seven drivers, it's going to be difficult. And a lot of these drivers, they are successful this season. Zane Smith, Chandler Smith, John Hunter, Nemechek. That's just three drivers that have been exceptionally good. Um, On top of all this, you know, you also have two KBM drivers that are in there that Kyle Busch Motorsports hasn't won a title since Christopher Bell. And they were known for just being at the top of their game at all times. Um, Mm -hmm. And so to have two drivers that really want to be chomping at the bit, to have to go through Talladega first is going to be intense for sure. Yeah. So you bring up – the spacing kind of of the schedule for the, for the truck series. And we talked about this right before we got on the show. Um, so Nathan, I'm going to ask you this question. Um, Keith said the next two weeks, well, mm-hmm. they're not two weeks from now. They're <laughs> there. It's, 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 it's two, two weeks from now, three weeks from now, four weeks from, from each of these rounds. And it's been like that since the middle of June, I think they started on June 23rd. Um, and we've just now gotten through the fourth race the first of the second round. So as someone who's not really been paying attention that much this year to the, the truck series, because it really was a shit show last year. And I just kind of was like, eh, I don't care because we had Knoxville because we had Martinsville. We had more and more of these shit shows. I didn't really pay attention to it this year. Do you think Nathan that the hype for the truck series playoffs is non-existent? And do we even need it? Because you're talking about June, July, August, September, October, November, five months for seven races to crown a champion. I don't agree with it for once because I feel like they only gave trucks playoffs just to make it uniform with everything else. I feel like the last couple of years have kind of proven we don't really need it because I don't see the point of doing this if we're just going to have races that are, you know, three weeks apart. And, you know, there's, so let's say there's like however many guys and, you're only taking two of them out every time. So it's like that almost makes you wonder why there's even multiple rounds. It just seems kind of so much different than the other series playoffs that you almost can't compare it. Yeah. And you're talking about seven races out of 23 versus seven out of 35 for the Xfinity series and 10 out of 36 for the cup series. So I guess Keith, um, 
I'll, I'll ask you, um, how would you fix it? Because I, too, just disagree with the fact that they even need to have seven races over the span of five months to determine the champion. So I think we actually have our timeline wrong, believe it or not. Um, the regular season ended at Pocono, which was the second to last week of July. So even still, it doesn't change the fact that we've been in the playoffs. We had three races, now four races. Um through just a touch over a month and a half now, um, going on two months, that is way too much of a timeline there. Um, if I were to fix it, there's there's two options that you got. Your one option, completely get rid of it. I don't see a need for it. I think that um, it, it promotes way too much chaos and recklessness, and that's exactly why this series has lost a lot of its merit. Um, you know, me and a buddy of mine, we've been talking for a long time about the truck series. It used to be washed out cup drivers that dropped down to the truck series. And, and you also, shows. yes, and they put on fantastic shows. And you also had drivers who were up and coming. And you also had drivers who were just kind of there. You had your truck lifers. Now, this is just your, your baseball version of a farm system. You know, they just see how well can you do. Not really all that great because you're just beating the shit out of the next guy acting, like next to you. Um, it's really, it's not that entertaining for a diehard fan like us. Um, you know, for some people, they want to go and see a, a demo derby and that's exactly what you're going to get, especially with these yeah. playoffs. Yeah. You know, you have tracks like IRP, you have tracks like Bristol, you have tracks like Martinsville, Talladega, you know, like if you want to have excitement and chaos, pandemonium, everything in between, this is the place for you. But it's, I don't think the truck series needs it. When they, when they placed the, the, the playoffs in the Xfinity Series and Truck Series in 2016, I was like, eh, I liked it in the Cup Series only. I don't think that, it, that the lower series needed it. However, we are in this position, and we are fully aware of the position that we're in. The tracks that we have coming up for the Cup Series, we just finished up Darlington. We just finished up at Kansas. We just finished up at Bristol. Three tracks that the Truck Series have put on great races at in the past. Yep. And so I don't see any reason why we couldn't have gone and picked a handful of races from this first round of the Cup Series and made it into the Truck Series. Because as much as I would love to have the Truck Series go back to its old short track racing routes and, you know, you have your, your beaten and banging kind of short tracks, it's gotten to the point where we're at, you know, bigger race tracks with, you know, bigger markets at them. Um, and so I really think that if you want to do the playoff thing, you need to kind of run all your races regular season up until about where the Cup Series starts their playoffs. Because if nobody said anything, I would not have known that Ty Majeski won the race at Bristol and was going to Phoenix. Had not a care in the world about it because there's no excitement. There's no intensity. It's, it's lost all of its excitement and it sucks. Yeah, um, and I think – you are right. I'm looking at the schedule right now. It was it was July, so that's still four months for, for seven races. Um, I think for me, uh, you, you talk about some of these races um, that could have been. Um, I think the easiest thing um, would be to trim some fat from, from the front end of the schedule, not have these big gaps, um, you know, at different parts of, of, of the summer. Um, I think realistically if they're gonna have a big gap race at daytona and then pretty much race every week from the summer to 
through the playoffs. I'm looking at the cup playoffs for the last seven rounds, and the Xfinity Series playoffs are these seven rounds, obviously. We start with Texas, go to Talladega, Charlotte, then we go to Vegas, Homestead, Martinsville, and Phoenix. All right, so we don't necessarily need to have two wild card rounds in the Truck Series playoffs, right? So that will be the Talladega and the Roper. I don't think that, that that should be honestly there for Xfinity, and we're not going to see Xfinity at Talladega next year. So I think the perfect way to fix this would be to have both series start at the Bristol Night Race for their first round of the playoffs, go to Texas, and each one of them have an off week while the other one races at Talladega and Roble, and then two very good tracks for, for racing the trucks at Vegas, Homestead, Martinsville. And and that condenses it to, to all be pretty much the same schedule, all three series. I mean, do, do we think that fixes the hype? Because... I mean, we're talking, we're talking last week of July, and I just, I don't know. I, I think that where the truck series stands right now, they, they have gone on three-plus week stints of vacation, and it, it has been a norm for whatever reason. Um, I think with the truck series, especially with the truck series, you can't have 36 races. The funding's not there. The drivers aren't there. Sponsorship's not there. So it's good to have a 23-race season. That's not a problem. However, I think the most spacing that there should be in between each race should be two weeks tops, and that's it, because you're going to lose a lot of that excitement. Um, You know, say like we just finished up Bristol. The next two weeks, the Cup Series has Texas, and they have Talladega. And I think if you're the Truck Series – you know, if you just raced at Bristol, you take off, you know, Texas and Talladega and you go to the Robo at most. But even that, that's still too much of a, of a gap in between to keep someone engaged, to keep yeah. fans engaged, to keep sponsors wanting to be there. Because let me tell you something right now. I don't know if, if sponsors really want to jump into a series that has so much gap in it. And I, I don't even know what the ratings were for Bristol for the night for the truck series race. I have no idea what it was. But it couldn't have been great because yeah. it's it's one of the most forgettable. You don't, you never, right you know, you don't know when it's racing, and that's the biggest problem. Yes. Um, but we do know who is racing and who always has good racing, um, and that's the Xfinity Series. So we look at Friday night's Xfinity Series race, um, and we'll start off with the biggest, I guess, news going into the playoffs, and that is Noah Gregson has just won three races in a row. Um, so we'll start with with Nathan. Um, where are you at on Noah Braxton as a driver, um, and how do you feel for him getting you know six wins this year? I mean, first of all, I'm not surprised because I feel like he's had enough time now. It's been, what, five years in Xfinity, which is, yeah. by modern standards, that's a really, really long time in Xfinity. And he's had, I think, most of the guys that he was competing with when he started out are gone. So I kind of expected... It, it was kind of like, you know, Chase Briscoe when all the other guys left. You know, when they leave, he's the guy that wins all the races. And now that right. all those guys left, he's the one that's winning all the races. So I'm not surprised. I think that he's got a good future ahead of him. But I don't want to get too much on the hype train for the cup side yet because I feel like there's a lot there's a lot more that's still yet to be proven. Absolutely. Um, Noah Braxton, he's been knocking on the door. You know, first career win came in 2020, and since then he's just lit it up. 
Um, and this season especially, he's done a fantastic job. But it has not gone without making some enemies. And one of the biggest enemies he's got right now is the guy that is arguably his biggest rival for the championship, and that is Ty Gibbs. And we've seen time and time and time again that number 54 Monster Energy Toyota has absolutely zero problem putting a driver in the wall. And Noah, and Noah Gragson, mm-hmm. he has absolutely pissed people off. Doing what he did at Road America, um, that just goes to show you where his headspace can be at. And so I think that he's really pissed off Ty Gibbs for the last time. Um, you know, Ty Gibbs had his Kyle Bush everything is great interview saying thank you so much to the team. We've worked on it. We've done a great job. Can't wait for next week. And, you know, he would not answer anything about the question because he's doing the, the, the whole PR thing. But I know for a fact that Ty Gibbs is pissed. And now we are going to be heading into a string of races in which there is going to be some close quarters. Uh, Roval is going to be a really, really big one. Um, Martinsville coming up. And we've seen it time and time again that Ty Gibbs doesn't have much of a problem doing it anywhere. And we did it to Ryan Seeger earlier this year at, at Las Vegas. Like, he's got no issue getting up under somebody and moving you out of the way to let you know he's not all that happy with you. So, Noah Gragson absolutely has been class of the field three consecutive wins most wins for a jrm driver in one season he's done a fantastic job but he has kind of ross jastained himself to a to to a degree and um he's really put himself into a hole with some drivers that don't really have much to lose and have no issue taking care of business if they have to yeah so i think we all can probably agree that the Two favorites are the the fifty four and the nine. However, um, I want to ask you this: We're going to Talladega and the Roval. So Texas is really the only racetrack in this round of twelve that these guys can, I guess, sit tight, hold the wheel, and know that it's pretty much going to be straightforward. If Noah and Ty get into something, what I mean, what's stopping one or the other from being just the dominant favorite they're they're from? Because, you know, <coughs> potentially you could have two bad races in the backhand of this round just based off of the racetracks that we're at. So what's stopping what's stopping Ty Gibbs from just making the nines race at Texas hell and just walking right to Phoenix because he doesn't have to worry about anybody else in the round of eight. Oh man, it's tough. I, I don't think you're going to see anything like that until like it's actually time. Cause those guys know that they have a, they, they can't control everything, but if they can control what they can control and they don't have any bad luck, then it's pretty much a shoe in final four for both of them. And I think that they're going to realize that, now is not the time to be making enemies or doing stuff like that because I guarantee you they're going to wreck each other in the final race if they're both there. That's that's what I feel like is going to happen. But before then, I'm not really sure. I think if anything, it would be a Martinsville. Okay. Um, so we're heading into Texas, and Texas is a track that I don't think the Xfinity Series has raced at. Oh, yes, they have. They raced at it earlier this year, I guess, with the All-Star Weekend. Um, Ty Gibbs, he went and he finished 12th there. But he also has won in a mile and a half this year, and that was at Las Vegas. Um, and I don't, I don't see much of an issue with Ty Gibbs just going and straight out winning at Texas. 
He's got fast race cars. He's super, super strong. Um, and I think that he absolutely does have the opportunity to just win, punch his ticket, and and get into the next round. Um, Talladega, Talladega is going to be a crapshoot race, which Noah Gragson is one of the best plate racers in the sport right now. We've seen it time and time again. He knows what he's doing. He's going to get around a racetrack really well. Um, and so that's going to be a hard track for, for Ty Gibbs to really dictate. Um, but when it comes to the Roval, I really don't think that there's much withstanding in between Ty Gibbs and, and Noah Gregson having, having an issue together. Um, you know, that, that has been a close quarters, slow racetrack ever since its inception. And we've seen payback happen time and time again. Kevin Harvick last season with Chase Elliott just got him coming back up onto the oval portion. And it is that quick. It's that easy. And so if Ty Gibson punch his way in and Gregson hasn't done it by the time the Roval comes around, I can absolutely see Ty Gibbs making, making the Roval hell for, for Noah Gregson for sure. Yeah. Well, let's see what the, uh, with the second round with, with two mile and a half and Martinsville, I just think it is going to be convenient for whoever decides to race the hardest at potentially Texas, because if I'm if I'm looking at these Xfinity Series playoffs, I don't count on doing good at, at Talladega or the Roval, just based on just the wild card aspect of it. Um, and there's a third player in all of this that drives for the um, probably best restrictor plate team in the Xfinity Series, and also, oh yeah, is the best road racer in the whole top three series of NASCAR, and He's just won his second regular season championship in a row, and that is A.J. Allmendinger. And I think that you have to know that he's probably going to be a threat to win at both Talladega and the Roval. He's probably going to walk away with the Roval. So if if I'm the 9 or the 54, I think I can take the other one out, be laps down at Texas, and not have to worry about them making it into the next round. That's just wrong. Um, now that just that just might be false for me, but it is what I think could happen if I'm one of those guys because I feel like they race that hard, you know. Absolutely. So, uh, other than that, let's get into um, since they are starting the Xfinity Series playoffs, let's get into who's in um, and who's out. So, firstly, Ryan Sieg makes it in. Riley Herbst makes it in. Daniel Hemrick and Sam Mayer make it in. They are all below the cut line before we've raced our first race. Um, so those guys have made it in. We have Brandon Jones, Austin Hill, Josh Berry, Almendinger, Allgaier, Gibbs, Gregson, and then, of course, Jeremy Clements, who was in, not in, and back in because we didn't know until he went to the R&D Center whether or not he would win the appeal for winning the race in Daytona. Um, so – it's a pretty decent field, but there seems to be one person missing. And I know you wanted to talk about this, Keith. So um, who is that person that seems to be missing from the playoff field? Oh, man, I'm, on a, I'm drawing a fucking blank right now. Hardcore blank. You got to help me. Hardcore. Uh, he's a teammate of Austin. Ah, never mind. I got it. And that is Sheldon Creed. Um, Darlington. Darlington was a fantastic race for Sheldon Creed. And he went toe-to-toe with one of the sport's best drivers, and that was Kyle Larson. 
Um, Larson went in to turn one on the final lap, and you know he he and Creed got into the wall and allowed Noah Graxon to get his first of three consecutive race wins. You know, Sheldon Creed got out of the car and he was all smiles. He was, you know, like that was good racing. Um, but it's hard to to sit back and think that maybe there was an opportunity for for him to to just punch his ticket in and go into Bristol and not have to worry about everything. But he goes into Bristol needing a race win. He's side by side with Ty Gibbs for the race lead, and Noah Gragson drives it on into the turn. Gives the boot to Ty Gibbs. Ty Gibbs and Sheldon Creed both wreck, and there goes Sheldon Creed's opportunity to get in. Um, and Creed has shown for the last few weeks he is right on top of it. He's been really, really fast, finally. Um, you know, he's had a lot of down moments this season. He hasn't been that quick in a lot of instances, while his teammate Austin Hill is a two-time winner on the season, winning at both Daytona and Atlanta. Um, and nearly won the, the second Daytona race as well. So, you know, Austin Hill is having a fantastic season, um, while Sheldon Creed hasn't really been at the same the same level. And it's been frustrating, I'm sure. But Darlington was a racetrack that um, Sheldon Creed has won in, in the past at the Truck Series level. Um, and he had a fantastic opportunity to get it done. And Bristol is a racetrack that he also has some, some great runs at as well. Um, so it's kind of a bummer to see that number two car not be a part of the playoffs, considering he is a, a, a truck series champion from two seasons ago. He is more than worthy of the opportunity to be here. Um, and it just sucks to see what ended up happening. Yeah, I would have to agree. Cause I feel like Sheldon Creed was under a lot of pressure at the start of this year because he had a lot of hype coming into Xfinity. And of course the first couple months of the year were kind of rough for him a lot of dnfs a lot of crashes and he finally started to show that speed toward the end of the year but it was just too little too late and you know darlington was just one of those deals but at bristol i mean he there was nothing he could have done i mean he just got taken out as an innocent bystander yeah so up until this point um we've had five plate tracks with two at atlanta two at daytona one at talladega um, and Austin Hill has won two of those. And I, I was sitting here like while you guys were talking, thinking about how Sheldon Creed, he's, he's, you know, a rookie. Um, so maybe it's just growing pains, but then again, Austin Hill is a rookie as well. Um, and he's not really had the same kind of growing pains when it comes to getting a win and concealing, um, that, that ticket into the playoffs. Um, has it just been the the bad luck of the last few weeks or or has has Austin Hill just been elevated because he went to play tracks and hasn't really been that much of a, a name on a regular, you know, mile and a half, week to week basis? Oh man, that's tough. I feel like it's almost becoming sort of a weird hierarchy structure in Xfinity to where on the mile and a half, I mean it's it's JRM, it's Ty Gibbs, and then it's everybody else. So I feel like he's probably capable of running, let's just say, let's just say all four or five JRM cars and Ty Gibbs are in the top six. He's probably capable of running right behind those guys. It's just a matter of can the other teams close the gap to JRM or Gibbs in these past couple weeks? Because if they can't, then they're, they're going to get pulled away from pretty quickly. And I think he's capable of doing it. It's just a matter of whether or not, RCR is close enough to those top two teams to do anything. 
Yeah. Um, so I'm looking at all the stats right now, and between the two teammates, um, Austin Hill, out of the 26 events this year, has a top 10 in 16 races. Oh, wow. So he's good. been pretty consistent. Meanwhile, Sheldon Creed, out of the 26, has 10. Um, and in that same stroke, he has 135 laps led. And when you go and you look at his teammate, um, he has done far better than that this year. You know, he went out and he led 23 laps en route to his Daytona win. Um, he led 27 laps in his runner-up finish at Atlanta, led 67 at Talladega, 73 at his Atlanta win. He's been right on top of it. Um, he's been super, super fast. And he has finished just about every race. I believe uh, he's got 99% laps completed. Meanwhile, Sheldon Creed hasn't had that same luck. So I really do believe that it comes down to the fact that Austin Hill has just been more consistent. Um, you know, tw- two DNFs for, for Austin Hill, but they were both late race crashes. Um, you know, Sheldon Creed just hasn't had the luck, but he also just hasn't had the speed. And, you know, I know that the Xfinity Series is such a topsy-turvy series that, you know, you, you'll see just when anybody jump in there and be able to make, make some noise. There are, I can think about 10 different drivers right off the top of my head right now that can win any given race weekend. And Sheldon Creed, I don't have in that top 10. And it's not right. because of lack of talent. It's right. just because he's, he and his team are not where they need to be. Meanwhile, that 21 car is. Yeah, uh, and, and and it's interesting because they're both basically in the same situation, coming straight out of the truck series. Um, and if you'd have asked me this the first part of the season, I would have told you that Sheldon Creed was the uh, the shoe in for of those two to to do better this year in Xfinity, and I would have been massively wrong, especially listening to the stats. So one last thing before we move on to the Cup Series. Um, who are you? Who are you guys? Early um, top four. I mean, I think we're both or both of the top two are Ty Gibbs and Noah Gregson or or she wins for the three of us. But who are those other two drivers that you're looking at for the top uh, four? Um, I think honestly, it's hard to not pick AJ Allmendinger because he's always a presence. I think that his is a pretty good example of Colic has not been where they need to be compared to JRM or JGR, because I think JRM and Ty Gibbs have literally won like every single stage on an oval track for the past like six months, every stage. So those guys are obviously in another category of their own, but I think AJ Allmendinger will definitely get there off of consistency alone. I think obviously the nine, the 54, they're going to win their way in. They'll probably win what feels like half the playoff races and I think Justin Allgaier is probably the fourth guy I would pick because he's pretty much in the final four almost every year at this point. So I don't really see a reason to not pick him again. So Gibbs and Gregson, they're going to be shoe wins for me, but I'm going to give you guys some stats on AJ Allmendinger. So three wins this season through 26 events. He has an average finish of 6.4. And he has 23 top 10 finishes with zero DNFs. Damn. Unbelievable stats. And on top of that, given where he is point standing wise, winning the regular season title, Noah Gregson has six wins, and that equates to 30 bonus points. AJ Almaninger has three wins, and with that 15 point bonus, 
he also is at 30 bonus points. So even without having the same amount of wins, he still has the same amount of points as Noah Gragson. He's been the most consistent driver. He His average start is worse than his average finish, and that's fucking wild. Wild. He has been super, super, super consistent. He's been at the front of the field. He's got a great average finish. And uh, you have a couple races that are coming up that are going to be really, really good for him. You got Las Vegas, and Las Vegas is a racetrack that he has had really good success at in terms of being able to run well. He also won there in 2021, so he is a former Las Vegas race winner. Um, you also got Martinsville. Martinsville races a lot like a road course. You know, you go down in deep, you got tight turns, slow corners. I think that he is going to be, um, I don't say a shoe-in, but I, I will say he is most likely going to be the third guy, and I'm going to go a little off the beaten path here for number four. I'm going to say Brandon Jones is going to jump in to the final four, and he is going to have a really good shot at winning the title because guess who won at Phoenix? And Phoenix is is a really – he's won at Phoenix before. I know he beat Kyle Busch straight up, like went up there, passed him, took the race lead, and took the race win. So he is a former Phoenix race winner. Martinsville is also a great track for him. I believe he won earlier this year, if I'm not mistaken. Might be mistaken, but um, Brandon Jones is a very quiet sleeper. And there's no surprise to why Junior Motorsports selected him to be their new driver of the number nine car. Yeah, well, I mean, he's he's going to be one of those guys that is an Xfinity lifer, kind of like the uh, the Matt Craftons of the world, uh, the Johnny Sauters of the world in uh, – and um, <clears throat> the truck series. Um, I don't see him getting to the final four, though. Um, maybe next year when we lose Ty Gibbs and Noah Gregson, um, but not this year. Um, I think you guys hit the nail on the head uh, with AJ Allmendinger. I think he is a shoe in. I think that he could easily win the Roval. I think that he can easily win Las Vegas. But m- what it comes down to, in my opinion, is who wins at. Talladega and who wins at Homestead? Um, not Homestead, uh, Martinsville. My bad. I think that Talladega, being that Jeremy Clements is in, knowing that Austin Hill is very good, and knowing that Daniel Hemrick drives for Colleague, you've got guys that could go up there and play a spoiler for a top eight spot. Um, of course, Austin Hill is probably a shoe in for the round of eight, but you know, um, if it's not him and it is a Jeremy Clements or it is a Daniel Hemrick, which are very viable options, that could knock one of these other guys out. And I think that could change the scope of who's in the final four. But when I look at Martinsville and you know what, really even Homestead, the car that sticks out to me is another JRM car, but it's not all guy. It's Josh Berry. I think that he's the guy that's going to be the final um, the fourth spot in the final four, just based off a win at either or both of those racetracks. Yeah, absolutely. Josh Berry's been really, really consistent in terms of being fast at mile and a halves. And he's also a former winner in Martinsville, won his first career event there. So he is a, a good short track racer. He was a short track liver for a long time. And that's a great opportunity for him. Also, when you look at Talladega, he's not been great at the plate races, but he's been listening to Dale Earnhardt Jr. a little bit. And he actually had a pretty solid outing at Daytona this year. 
which was nice to see as a Josh Berry fan myself, um, to see him be able to run pretty well and keep his nose clean just about all afternoon long. Um, he found himself finishing – where are you, sir? I know you're around here somewhere. Come on. I can't find him. I know he finished. I know he was in the race. Anyway, he ran pretty well. He kept his nose clean, and he didn't get in any trouble. And when it comes down to it, sometimes you don't have to be fast. You just have to finish the damn race. Spring you know, race with uh, Ross Chastain winning. That's that's quintessentially what you just said. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, just be there at the end. Now, he finished 18th. And, uh, you know, like, he led six laps. So, you know, he figured something out. Um, you know, I, I, I believe that Josh Berry has the talent and the capacity to be able to run well and to have an opportunity to to punch himself into the into the final four for sure. All right. Well, with that being said, let's go ahead and move on to the Cup Series, the Bristol Night Race, the fourth crown jewel, as it were, since we don't have the uh, Brickyard anymore. Kind of moving into its spot. Very anticipated race. However, this would be the first time the next-gen cars took charge to the fastest half mile. Um, And we kind of didn't know what was going to happen, but we could only assume what was going to happen based on the quote-unquote short tracks earlier this year with Richmond and Martinsville. And as someone who enjoyed both Richmond races, thought they were pretty good, I'm going to defer this to Nathan uh, because Nathan um, had a little bit different opinion of Saturday night's race than I did, so I'll let him go first. Well, first of all, as a disclaimer, I'm not going to say it wasn't entertaining. The events that took place during the race were very entertaining, but I think the racing itself, I mean – there were there were quite a bit of drivers who were pretty critical of what happened on the track, and I think there was one pass for the lead under green flag conditions, and that was Keselowski with about a hundred laps to go. But other than that, it was just I think Hamlin said you go faster on the corner than you do in the straightaway. So as we all know at this point, that never ever leads to good things on short tracks. Yeah. So I think Harvick was another one that said like. You know, the tires, they never fall off, so there's no wear. So it's pretty much all about track position. I mean, Chris Buescher was the only car to take two tires, and he ended up winning the race, which it almost makes me wonder why more people didn't take two tires, because if they knew track position was going to matter that much, why are you taking four tires, you know? Well, I mean, that could probably be something to do with just stage racing has eliminated any sort of tire strategy at all, um, in my opinion. But the first thing that you noted, you noted that there was only one pass for the lead. And this is something that pissed me off when I was talking to people on Twitter about the race is that they said the race wasn't good because there was no lead changes. I'm not, I'm not saying Ten, that. I'm not, I'm not. I'm calling out other people. I don't understand how people can look at a singular metric as saying that the race was not good. Yes, events happened attrition-wise that we don't normally see that could be frustrating to some, could be entertaining to others. And I well, thought that well. provided some good race strategy. Um, and not really strategy, but you know, race-altering events. However, I feel like when we're not watching the leader at Bristol on Saturday night, we saw some of the best racing, if not the best racing we've that's, seen on short tracks all year. Ooh, that's tough for me because I feel like 
you know, watching there, the numbers. Pa- there was stuff. passing all over. I mean, I was watching the ticker, and there was not not a lot that went on behind the leaders, at least compared to a normal Bristol race. It's just, I think there's the disclaimer that I was going to say is that it's passing because one car is better than everybody else is one thing. Passing because the package doesn't allow you to pass is a totally different thing. You know, that almost, that's kind of what Saturday was, you know, whatever you would cycle out, you'd kind of just stay there, you know, with the exception of Christopher Bell, he passed, I think one or two cars after he blew a tire. And I think Hamlin might've passed. I think he passed one car after he blew his tire. And then all of the other positions were kind of just inherited after people blew tires or people crashed in front of them. So I, I'm, I'm a little bit worried for this car in terms of Martinsville again. It's just, you know, it's, it's almost a challenge because everything that was designed in this car is the opposite of what makes good short track racing. So I think maybe it's, with hindsight, it's, it's frustrating to me because it did everything it was supposed to do for big track racing <laughs> because yeah, it's been beautiful it's, on big tracks. I think that's, that's your main issue. Like they, they kind of went in such a radical direction to where it's, it, it's really good for one and really bad for the other because it's so different, you know? So Keith, uh, as the third person here, I'm going to let you decide whether or not for Fan Fuel Motorsports, if this was a good race or not. Because I thought it was a really good race. I thought there was good racing. So, I'm not going to say it was a really good race, but I'm not going to say it was a bad race. Um, this raced a lot like 2013 Bristol, where drivers migrated up to the top of the racetrack. And you'd see drivers try to dive down to the bottom, get side by side, and try to make a move. And it was really difficult for that driver on the bottom to fight that momentum that was up on the top of the racetrack. However, when it did work out, when you had a faster car that ran to the bottom, you give them a couple laps, they finally figured out a way to get by. Saw Chase Elliott do it a couple times. Saw Brad Keselowski do it a couple of times. Drivers that were quick, they managed to get by. However, drivers that really even, that outside lane was going to be premier, no matter what. And I think that at the end of the day, a lot of it comes down to the tire. The tire was a different tire than we've had. And all weekend long, you had issues with the truck series, the Infinity series, and of course, the cup series. And the tire issue, I know we'll get to later. Um, but that was, it, it, it was a good race. I, I think, was it the best Bristol night race? No, I Absolutely have seen not. better yeah, I think I probably racing. put it like bottom of the decade, probably since 2010. Which is, and, I mean, obviously that says a lot about Bristol Night races because there really hasn't. This is like the only one that you could consider not a classic, yeah. I guess. And and so I think that's a big problem with fans. Is I, I'm not saying it's bad. They, it's not a classic, you know. Like I, I, don't I get see, me wrong, but that's what happens though. I think in yeah, general, I'm not them. Fans. <laughs> put these these races on these pedestals, right? And when they want 100%, 500 laps, 500 miles of action, 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 and they don't get it, they don't appreciate right, I'm not, it, even, even if it is good. And right, Saturday not, night, to me, was, was, was entertaining all night. I mean, that's fair, but I think that my perspective is not the same as theirs, so don't lump me in with them. I'm just saying that the package was pretty... Just, I'm not going to say it was miserable, but from a, a actual racing standpoint, like if you take away all the crashes and all the blown tires, then there really wasn't a lot of substance. You know, there was just wherever you would cycle out, you would kind of just stay unless you were at the back. 
but I think it was it's just a matter of this car needs to get fixed on these bigger tracks because yeah. you got a diffuser which sucks the car to the ground. You've got bigger tires, smaller sidewalls, so they have to build a harder tire because you really can't build a tire that's softer with this. And then you've got to do high cornering speeds and low horsepower. So you can't spin the rear tires. So that's another big thing of why Martinsville is having problems because how are you going to, how are you going to, how is a driver going to play a role in the rear tire management? If you can't even wear the rear tires out. Right. You know, I'm hoping well, see, that. Yeah. They know that that's a problem. Right. And so yeah. I, this is another thing that I said on Twitter is like, people's got to be patient. And I called Denny Hamlin out and his little thing by retweet and said, no, you just need to be patient. I mean, because we, we spent nearly a decade getting the Gen 6 package to even be entertaining at um, at uh, the plate tracks, you know. Uh, the COT was not very good on intermediates until they put the spoiler on, um, you know, like that kind of stuff. Like it's going to take some time, but the fact is – they should have made changes for the playoffs because we know after these flat tracks and these short tracks what the problem was on these shorter tracks. Why didn't they make those changes? And that's, I think, the biggest problem of what we got yeah. not being what we expected. So right, and I, feel I, I, I think – I think sorry to cut you off, Nathan. Oh, um, no, go ahead. I think that it's a good thing they didn't make these changes. I think that we're revisiting these racetracks. If you're just going to switch up the rules package and say, all right, we're changing this right now. And it's like, all right, the sport's going to change and everything, especially now we're going into the playoffs. Now these teams have finally started to build notebooks on how some of these racetracks are operating. And, you know, we're going to go to Talladega for the second time this season. That's going to be, you know, a, a, a revisit. We're going back to Vegas for a second time. Martinsville's for a second time. So if you're going to go ahead and change everything, and try to make it more entertaining, you are taking away the merit of having to go to two races a season. Why not just make it one race a season? Because, you know, you, you want to keep that legitimacy there. Um, and I think changing up how the races are going to operate, it, it, it makes a very topsy-turvy um, format that we have already even more illegitimate. So it's a good yeah, thing you bring that up. I mean, I'll ask you. I mean, I'm assuming that you'd be okay with them doing it over off season since they did take the test at Martinsville. They they didn't have underbody arrow for the tire test at Martinsville a couple of weeks ago. I'm assuming that you're okay with that happening over, over the off season. But also, with the point that you just said, I wanted to talk about this first round as far as parts. Um, because we had obviously a lot of stuff happening at Bristol, but we had what happened to Kevin Harvick at Darlington as well. So with what you said about the topsy-turviness of the playoffs, how do you feel that we've had all these issues? Before we get into the specifics of the issues, which we'll talk about next, how do you feel that it seems like the first four out may have been affected by just the next-gen car not being – where we think it should be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, this is coming from one central place, all these parts, um, all these cars, the chassis, that's where it's coming from. And so, you know, you'll look at, at the director of competition and say, you know, these NASCAR teams, they went and, and they agreed to all of these things. 
and you know they try to put some some responsibility on the NASCAR teams. But I'm but when I sit back and I think about it, it's like, well, you kind of gave them no choice. You said, all right, pick a part, and it's like, well, I want to make my own parts. Well, you got to pick a part. I never chose to pick a part. You know, like I like if I had a choice, that wasn't going to be it. So I, I think with everything, NASCAR is listening. They are watching. And they know that there are things that they need to make some adjustments on. And, you know, the attrition that we've seen this first round has been more than I think anybody anticipated. Yeah, I will and, say that the one thing that really bothered me with NASCAR is that in hindsight, they should have expected this or we should have expected this because, you know, bigger brakes, better tires, you know, better underbody aero, that stuff and less horsepower, that stuff doesn't lead to good short track racing. And, I feel like if I had paid more attention to what the package was going to be, you know, we probably should have seen it coming. And I do remember talking to somebody about, I think it was December of the off season who said that these short tracks are going to be bad. He told me, he's like straight up, these aren't going to be good races because this is what the car looks like. And I was like, well, I don't know that yet. And you know, you fast forward it a calendar year and he ends up being mostly correct. So I'm surprised that the engineers or whoever the drivers didn't see these characteristics in the car and they didn't i'm surprised they didn't be a little bit more proactive with it because if they knew that these characteristics were all difficult to fix then you know it makes you wonder why we went ahead with it anyways and now we have to go all the way back so i think nascar is gonna nascar but i also don't (laughs) think that this is a problem that we didn't address. Talk to Denny Hamlin, talk to Kyle Busch, talk to Martin Truex Jr., talk to uh, Brad Keselowski, talk to Kevin Harvick. Any of those guys would have told you what was going to be wrong at every one of these tracks every, every bit of this year and what was going to be right. And we saw most of the stuff happen that, that those seven drivers said was going to happen. Those guys have been in the sport. Those guys drive race cars, and those guys love putting on entertaining races for – for us, and that's why we've got them advocating for stuff like practice, advocating for more horsepower, advocating for um, smaller gears, or I guess bigger gears. Um, I don't know. Um, advocating for you know tire fall, all this stuff. But the people in charge who are paying money to do this, the the CEOs or the car owners at this point, I think they have too much say in what NASCAR is putting on the product because. They're whining about money, and the more changes, the more packages we take to each track, the less it's going to work. But we know from the past few years, 750 worked at the short tracks. It would have worked at the big track, but they didn't do that. But now the seven, the 670 is working at the big track. Well, why don't we have the 750 package at the southern? Why, why are we spending money for six races a year to have a different package than the rest of them? and not spending four, six more races a year at these short tracks and these flat tracks to have good racing. At the end of the day, you're going to be making less money if you have less fans in the stands because your races are shit. And I, and I think that the, 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 the guys that own these race cars are the ones that are the problem. And until the old head get mentality gets out and the track house, 2311 and RFK guys – have a seat at the big boys' table and not the kids' table, we're not going to see many of these changes happen. Yeah, yeah I think I, that would I, absolutely. 
I think what Alex said nailed it. You know, when it comes to TV, that's that's where all the money is. And if the TV is taking all the money and the sports is taking all the money, there's not really much money for the teams left. So they're almost forced to act like that out of necessity because they have to survive. Right. You know, like they don't really have the money to do the things that we want them to do because they're not getting it. And yeah. are you gonna are you gonna force yourself to lose more money to make the sport more money or make yourself more money? So I can see I can see the points where it's coming from. It's just right now it's a money problem in the sport, and we're the ones that are taking the hit. I think yeah, that's that's the biggest. There's no doubt. Um, now about parts overall, um, I'm gonna go with Keith first, um, and then we'll go with Nathan for the second part. Um, so, Keith, we're going to talk about Kyle Busch. Uh, you sent in your messages in our group chat earlier today some stuff that you've seen, um, and I wanted you to go ahead and kind of break down the round of 16 for Kyle Busch and what happened at Darlington and what happened at um, Bristol, and then we'll put our aluminum hat, uh, tinfoil hats on and see what happens. So, <laughs> at, at Darlington um, – Kyle Busch, late in the race, leading the event, caution comes out. Under caution, his engine blows. It expires. Um, Denny Hamlin, if I recall, said that he heard Kyle Busch miss a shift. And David Wilson went and he confirmed it, that when Kyle Busch, um, about a lap and a half prior to his engine expiring, um, when he was shifting from fourth to fifth, he missed that shift, and he absolutely pegged the rev limiter. Um, and so an issue that has been happening with um, the engines is not necessarily an issue, but what NASCAR has mandated is the rev limiter and where it's supposed to be at. It was at 9,700 RPM. Now it's about 9,200 RPM. And so where the engines usually kind of hit um, at peak speeds for Toyota are about 8,500. But if you're going to hit that rev limiter, you're going above 9,200. Um, and so mm-hmm. he pegged it, he nailed it, and within a lap and a half, his engine expired. Now, when it came to Bristol, once again, they're still learning how this thing is working, um, especially with a lot of NASCAR's mandates and, and how they want to operate with all of the engines. Um, 8,500 RPM was where they were kind of trending around, and their valve train had an issue. And they ended up hitting that rev limiter a lot more than they wanted to for an excessive amount of time. And so when Kyle Busch was running at Bristol, high speeds and very high corner speeds. So there wasn't a lot of time for the engine to kind of cool down. You kind of get down into the corner, you let the car set down, and then you're already mashing the gas middle of the corner. And you're hitting some super high speeds down the straightaways. Um, short track wise, at least. So he's hitting some super high speeds and he's hitting that NASCAR mandated rev limiter and the valve train could not handle it. And it was a bummer um, for the second time in three weeks. Um, you know, David Wilson said that he feels absolutely remorseful over the fact that they cost Kyle Busch, um, you know, a championship or at least a shot at it. Um, Darlington, I have to say, is more on Kyle Busch than anything, but Bristol, Bristol was a rough one. So are yeah, you, you sure. going to put your tinfoil hat on, or is it sitting to your side still? Oh, man, it's it's over here somewhere. It's it's definitely yeah. over here. I, I, if I'm Toyota, I, I'm not going to, you know, be that spiteful dick that's going to try to 
make Kyle Busch's life live in hell. If you can win a championship, damn it, with the best driver in the sport, yeah. you better go and take an right. opportunity for it for the last time. Yeah, yeah I would well, agree. I don't. I just I don't think it's fair to tinfoil hat this. I think that I understand the frustration from Kyle Busch fans, but I just think that this has got to be the most illogical tinfoil hat thing that I've ever seen NASCAR fans do. Yeah. Like I've never seen so many people just willingly believe what they want to believe, even though the evidence is right there in front of them. They're just going their own way, and it doesn't matter. This is this is no disrespect to the people on Twitter, but it's just yeah. If you look at the engines i know that it's someone told me like it's impossible to miss an upshift because of sequential which i get it but that doesn't mean you can't damage the engine you know you can you're not gonna miss the shift physically but if you're bad with the revs then yeah you're gonna damage the engine yeah and and it's all about hamlin, timing too hamlin like, and a hamlin was the opposite he straight up blew his engine because leaving the pits at vegas he was going from third to fourth and or not third to fourth. I think he was going from second to third. So he oh, went he tried up, to go up. Yep, yeah. And he just downshifted, blew the engine, spun out, and locked the rear tires. But yeah. I think even people are telling me, like, well, clearly then Toyota sabotaged him because you can't miss an upshift. I'm like, well, you can still damage it. Well, he can still yeah. damage the so, engine. <laughs> it's all about timing with these sequential things. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if they're using the clutch at these restarts or not i, I doubt don't think that they, they are but if you if you over rev like if you if you don't have the timing right with your foot and your your lever um you can you can bounce off that rev limiter and kind of hear that instead of putting it into gear like it has to be oh yeah it has to be off throttle at the exact moment you yeah, push. We gotta go and up. with a guy that restarts as good as kyle bush does he's probably going faster than the gearbox can at that point so yeah, that's that makes something you, wonder, that you have to think about. Like, so, I also want to say, though, that I knew that when that happened at Bristol, I was like, oh, my God, Twitter's going to go crazy. Yeah. Because and then, I had someone told me about a week ago, and they are like, oh, yeah, Kyle missed the shift at Darlington. But they kind of covered that up until they had to say it. So I was – the reason I was not partaking in that tinfoil hat is because someone told me a week ago yeah. that he'd missed a shift. And then – I, I posted a picture of like, well, he left because of contract disputes. You know, they, they couldn't agree. It wasn't either side's fault. They just couldn't agree. But the people on Twitter took that as, you know, this is proof. This is proof they're sabotaging him. And I'm like, that, yeah. that's, not what, well, that's see, not what they're trying to say. I think Toyota values Kyle Busch a lot more than Joe yeah. Gibbs does. And I've already said that. You saw my recap last week. Um, since I wasn't going to be on the show, I said what I said about, um, about the RCR deal. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it was, it was that much of an issue, yeah, but what I, 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 I do think that there is an issue, um, that we have, uh, with the Toyotas, obviously three of their cars had power steering issues. So Nathan, I kind of want to let you take the lead on this one, um, and kind of figure out, you know, do you think this is just Toyota got a bad or JGR got a bad batch or is this a Toyota setup thing? Oh man, this is tough. I feel like all the teams are adapting to this thing at the same time and you know, parts are going to be faulty, but I do think that Toyota has had a history of reliability problems. You look at 2008, Kyle Busch was the title favorite. He blew three engines in the first 3 weeks, he was done. You look at I think 2009, Hamlin was probably the second fastest car in the chase behind the 48, but he had a bunch of engine failures take him out. 
you know, there, you can go back so many years and look at all these Toyota issues. And of course, I think that this year is different because it's, there's single source parts. Everything is coming from somebody else. But I do think that it, it's part of it. You know, some teams are going to do better with that stuff than others. And, you know, being a JGR fan for as long as I have because of Hamlin, I've kind of been no stranger to these reliability issues. At this point, I'm just waiting for whatever issue is going to hit the 11 because he's due. He has not had a, a mechanical issue on the car since, I think, Vegas, which he lost power steering in. So well, let's hope that it's not. Yeah, until it's, the uh, he's due. Like it's something's going to happen. I mean, he's blown engines in the playoffs. He's had roof hatches come off. He's had he's had his dashboard cut out in the middle of a race. I mean, it's yeah, something's yeah. going to happen to the other two Toyotas. I just don't know what it's going to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it was probably something to do with how aggressive their setup was. But I can also say that to the Fords. Um, I'm not going to be oh, one of yeah. these guys that have a Goodyear conspiracy for. Um, the Bristol Night Race. I hate Goodyear. I, I've said that plenty of times, but I don't think this was a Goodyear issue. So I'll I'll say that the tires were a very very big problem on Saturday night, but I don't think that it was a Goodyear issue because it was a mostly Ford issue. Now I want to start by saying that most of these Ford cars probably have similar you know, suspension setups and whatever. And you don't have practice time to change your suspension out like you should. Um, that's one of the things that Brad Keselowski is like, we need two hours of practice each weekend. Give us time between sessions so that we can make vast changes because the minute changes that we can make in 15, 20 seconds, you know, are whatever. But in order to change a shock on these new cars, it's not a five-minute process anymore. It's a 30, 45-minute process. So, that's something that they probably could have even seen in practice but not even touched because post-qualifying they can't touch the car. Yeah, so I'm not sure I'm, if that's exactly what happened or what. Because you can't in 20 minutes get get a long enough run to run 100 laps in practice. without. Yeah, you know. I think they just didn't – it was just one of those deals. I think 2311 said that they knew that tires were going to be an issue because of high-load tracks. All the weight is just going to sit on the right front tire and – you can't really – if the tire is super hard, you're not going to feel it. It's just going to go. Like, it's going to blow out. Yeah. You know, we've seen it happen to Indy to teams in the past, and it's just part of it. And I think that I'm sure now they're going to be super conservative on their setups because whatever they did, it must have really upset the tires. I don't – I'm not an engineer, so I can't really say they did anything in particular. But it definitely, from the outside, looks like they did something a little bit different than everybody else. Well, I, I mean, this has become such a manufacturer-driven sport now. Uh, I know it always has been, but now, especially over the last decade or so, it's really been about manufacture, manufacture, manufacture. So Ford, whatever they did in terms of their suspension and how they wanted to load up their race cars, um, for the right front on several race cars to go out, Ryan Blaney, he had his issue. Brad Keselowski from the race lead had his issue. Eric Amarola, pole sitter, had an issue. Drivers who were fast, who were quick, and who had great speed all afternoon long, all evening long, for all of them to have issues um, from the same manufacturer, really, it, it says a lot. And then also back to the Toyota thing, um, I know that David Wilson was talking about um, the, the power steering issues, said that the loads that we've seen at Bristol were the most we had seen all season long. Um, you know, you're heading down into the turn with the fastest speeds that we've seen all year long in terms of um, – probably g-force i would say um 
such tight, tight corners. Um, and a couple of the cars that came to the garage, the seals on power steering, which is blown out. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that you ever see. That is such a hard no. thing to do. So it, it's, it really comes down to manufacturer reliability and, and um, the manufacturer dependence. Um, I think that Ford needs to go back to the drawing board and, and look at what they did. Toyota needs to go look at the drawing board and see what they did. Chevrolet is sitting pretty right now, man. They've only yeah. had a handful of issues this year in terms of reliability. And uh, looking at the stats right now, Chevrolet, um, you know, they had five cars in the top five or the top ten. Um, you know, they, they were looking pretty darn stout. So, you know, yeah, Chevrolet's I, got their stuff figured out. I got to give a shout out to Chase Briscoe because I don't think, you know, I don't think it blew off like it did everybody else or else he would have got out of the race. But his gradual, or his power steering gradually went out from lap four onwards. So wow. he basically ran like 496 laps without power steering. Damn. And he finished in the top 15. Yeah. That's, so that, that's, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> so you said that stuff about the load and stuff. I think, I think, how do we miss, how do we miss this? I, I don't, I know, you know, you mentioned, Nathan, that Toyota and 2311 knew that this was going to happen. I think most of us hardcore fans knew that this was going to happen, that there was going to be a lot more load on everything. Um, but it was like we all had the Pikachu shock face on when we get there. And yeah, I, know. I noticed it on, on a Saturday night when I was watching the race. I was like, yeah, Jesus like- Christ, these cars are flying. I don't think I've ever seen cars go around Bristol that fast yeah the like they might not be fast in straight line but they were fast in the corners yeah and like and i wonder I dover that, too like i don't know yeah. if you guys watch dover but like they weren't super fast in the straightaways but man they turned so fast I yeah mean, and we should have known better like, though because we they had the 550 package and we, yeah. when we went to the 750 package from the you know the 850 package in 2015 we've seen these corner speeds go up every time we slow the cars down and that leads to things like tire failures like more wear on the tires and yeah. less passing and stuff so i don't i don't understand they got a ton of downforce too so yeah. you know even if you reduce the power you're still going into the corner super fast and yeah that i don't almost, understand it begs to it, for me it begs the question to how did they make tires not blow out every every lap in 2014 because obviously <laughs> They had a ton of downforce for the time being. They didn't have a diffuser. They didn't have underbody aero, but they had a nice. But they were going spoiler. slower. Yeah, they were going they slower. A, That's why. Right. They were. They because were going mid corner speed went up 15 mile an hour on average right. in 2015 when we had the 750 package. Yeah, because it's we just were crazy going, to think about because we were going fast into the corner. The spoiler the break. The spoiler was the same height in 2015 as it was in 2014. So it almost makes you wonder they were, you know, they go from two two hundred five to one fifty in the corner, as opposed to going from one hundred and eighty in this car to one hundred and fifty in the corner. So it's like, I, I don't, I don't know how they didn't have more issues in the past. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, if you if you if you look at cars that are faster into the corner, they break and they slow down mid corner. There's a lot less load. That's what it comes down to. Like we saw this weekend, they are like. Like he said, one third into the corner, they're jamming the throttle because they can handle it all the way around. Well, they couldn't handle it over 500 laps. But um, the biggest thing for me this weekend was the tire issues, not because they were happening, because shit happens. You know, right. we expect 
that if if a manufacturer misses a setup, a lot of people are going to have problems. What I was pissed off at as Keith, he 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 noted the the ten, he noted the the six, you know, you know, the eleven had an issue, forty three, whatever. There were probably eight or nine guys that popped tires, and we oh, didn't yeah. get cautions except for two of them. And the two that we got that cautions was, for was the twenty Hamlet, right? and the forty three. Hamlet um, got one. Okay, well, I think, I think he did. Hamlet. I don't, I think. I don't know because I'm pretty sure like wall. a caution came out sure. like right after he had that thing happen. I, think I swore he, he had a caution because like I was he, on the no. He popped a tire after the caution came out. Like no, I think ca- he blew his... a tire under green and then like a straightaway later, like the caution lights were on. So I don't know yeah. what caused it, but I feel like he warranted one because he was crawling. Yeah, like, but the thing is, stop. what I was, my point was, we saw cautions for the guys that didn't hit the wall. Right. I mean, the, the 43 and the 20 did not hit the wall, and they were fine. And then the 6, the 2, the two, the 10, all these guys didn't get a caution. <laughs> and they hit the wall. Like, I just, don't get it. I don't know. What I think the, I'm just going to say it's just NASCAR being NASCAR. Like, You've seen it some time and time again where there's going to be a, a blown tire in stage one that's a caution, and then you're going to have a guy smack the wall with five laps to go, and there's no caution. Like, it makes no sense to me, but I, I the guy I really feel for is Keselowski because he took the lead. He, lead. he had that race pretty much won because there was no more pit stops, and he was driving away. And if there was a caution that came out, he probably would have stayed in the lead lap. And he probably would have still finished in the top 10. But because there wasn't, he got stuck in 13th for the rest of the night. So I, I really feel for him because, you know, if you blow a tire from the lead, you should probably have a caution. And yeah. if every, especially if everybody else does, because if one tire blowout warrants a caution, then I think all of them should. Like, you have to be consistent and fair to everyone. But I think NASCAR's motto has pretty much always been consistently inconsistent. So, yeah. It's just so, some um, guys just get worse luck. I'm trying to find what I said on Twitter. Um, I can't. I know I said that there was no definitive line because we didn't know when there was going to be a caution or not. Um, but Mike Ford said, for what it's worth, not all wall slaps are created equal, never have, never will. The 20 had a three-wide lap down, cars barreling down on it. The six had a clear had, was clear behind him because a big lead, easy for him to get down to safety. First of all, the 20 didn't hit the wall, Okay. How is it two wall slaps are not created equal when they weren't wall slaps for the 20? The six hit the wall. Yeah, he came down, but he was leading. Like, I don't I, – mm. I, I don't. When the guy that's in control says some shit like this, this to cover his ass, it just makes me want to, you know, punch walls because it's infuriating. Yeah. Why? Yeah. It's just a matter of – he doesn't even know what's hitting a wall or not when he says they have to treat every situation the same. You know, yeah. if one guy blowing a tire and hitting nothing is a caution, then so should all of them, you know, yeah. or vice versa. If, if, if this guy doesn't get a caution, then nobody does. It's like, it's just, it's hard to, to really put it into words because you see it every year. Like it's every yeah, week, yeah. it's every year. There's two incidents in every race that are the same thing. And then one of them's a caution and one of them isn't. Yeah, it's uh, it's ridiculous. Do you have anything to add to that, Keith? Because I can I can probably rant for another thirty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, it's just 
inconsistency has been NASCAR's game for the longest time, and it's just frustrating. Um, you know, there's been some – like, I know that there have been a lot of um, strides towards um, being more consistent, which is great, but uh, you can't pick and choose when you want to be consistent and when you don't want to be consistent. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think when it's an incident that involves a leader, almost every time you're going to have to throw a caution. I, I think the leader having an incident shouldn't just, you know – like, oh, yeah, we got down fine. No, it, there should be a caution. Yeah, I think I'd have been fine with the six not getting getting the caution thrown for him if the twenty, the eleven, and the uh, the forty three didn't. Especially the forty three right. and twenty because they didn't hit the wall. Like, yeah, if you're not going to throw ones for for guys barreling down the wall after they hit, then then just don't do it at all. And they did the yeah. same thing. I've been watching the twenty ten season. They did the exact same thing in twenty ten for the spring race where you had guys that smacked the wall with two right side flat tires and they didn't call it. So I guess I shouldn't have expected anything more on Saturday night, but that is what it is. However, we do have um, the round of 12 going off. Um, I do want to ask you guys one oh. final question, and that is who is your four out? We are going oh, into the round of eight. This is... The most important round is next. The wild card round is here. Who do you, who do you guys is... think survive Talladega and I'm... I'm struggling for this one because the bottom four guys, like they could realistically all win the Roval. They're all really good road racers. Chase Briscoe could probably win the Roval. Um, let's see. Daniel Suarez is two points out. He could definitely win the Roval because he is the second fastest car on a road course this season per lap time rankings. So he could easily win that race if he had to. Austin Sindrick, he's been top five as well on road courses this season. Chase Briscoe hasn't really had the best car, but he's still, for the most part, been relevant on the road courses. So I think it's a matter of whichever one of those guys has a good Texas is definitely in the best spot because you can't predict anything at Talladega. You know, let's just say that all of them DNF at Talladega. It's going to come down to whichever one of those guys had the best Texas race. And I think Daniel Suarez is going to be that guy. I think he's not going to be one of those bottom four out because he finished top five in the all-star race this spring. He finished top 10 at Texas last fall. I think that he could probably win the Roval too. So I, I don't have him in my bottom four out. I think, unfortunately, Chase Briscoe is probably out because I don't think they have the mile and a half speed. I, I don't think that they're good enough on road courses for him to be able to carry them to a win. You know, he's going to come close, but I don't think he's going to carry them and Austin Cindric's a big wild card for me because you've seen, I think, three Penske cars. All of them were in the top five at the All-Star race. So he could easily go out there and get a top 10 at Texas. I don't necessarily see him beating the JGR cars at Texas, but I think he could top 10 that race and he could top 10 the Roval. So I, I, I don't even know who's going to be out because there's so much – there's so many guys that are below the cut line that are all very good at road courses. So I think that if anyone's out, it's going to be a surprise. You know, it's going to be a William Byron. It's going to be a Hamlin. It's, it's going to be shoot. I mean, I think Hamlin and Blaney, they're pretty tight on points. So if one of those guys has a bad week, they're done. I think the first four out Number one going to be Ross Chastain. I think he finally gets what he's coming. I think he's got what he's got coming to him. His tickets are getting cashed in. I'm 100% with you there, Keith. 
Um, I think number two is going to be Chase Briscoe. Um, number three, I'm going to say, is going to be Alex Bowman. Um, mm. And number four, I'm going to have to put Denny Hamlin. I that's, think that's that a fair prediction. That's been I, on the back I of think, my mind all I year. Think that, um, I think that you're going to see all the Penske drivers do really well at Talladega. Um, Austin Sidgwick do well at the Roval. Um, Hamlin I think is that, like, horrifically bad at the Roval. Like you do not want to look up his record there. Like you don't want um, to look it up. I think Byron has a really good opportunity. Um, and also surprisingly, Austin Sindrick finished third at the all-star race. So yeah. that is uh, a, a good foreboding for him. Um, so I think that's who I got. And on that note, I am going to have to dip because I do have work. Um, it is quite the time. Um, but I know for a fact, I'll see you guys next week. Um, and next week's race winner is going to be Kyle Larson. Bye-bye. All right. All right. Well, I guess I'll give you a win pick then since he left us hanging. I guess I'm going to go with Christopher Bell. I honestly, well, shoot. Now that I say that, this is a tough one for me because I've been alternating between the 20 and the 22 all week long. But since I said it, I think I'm going to stick with the 20 because JGR has been really good on the mile and a half. I think that Texas being a clean air track is going to suit Penske very well. I think Logano could get track position. And if you give Logano the lead, he is not going to lose it because he's going to air block you. I mean, he's going to air block you until the cows come home. So I think I I just mm. I'm going bell because I think that that team is very good at not making mistakes. So I don't I don't think you're wrong that it's going to be a Toyota track. I think this is this is quintessential Kyle Busch territory for me. I don't think I don't I think we're going to continue the streak of non-playoff drivers winning. This is this is something, yeah. I think I think Kyle Busch is going to win. I think he's going to get redemption for those two two losses. Um, I think that the Roval Martin Drake Jr. is going to win, um, and maybe we have another non-playoff driver at Talladega. I must say, I would love to see that happen. Um, I must say, this weekend it's going to be a battle of execution between JGR and Penske. It's going to be the 22 versus the 20. Whoever gets ahead in the final pit cycle, that's winning the race. So that's that's my prediction for how this race is going to go. Yeah. Well, hopefully it's not too too bad. Um, yes, that's. Texas. I, I, it's Texas. 500 miles at Texas. And I, I, I complained about people complaining about 500 mile races. And I got to push this point in before I get to my first, my next four out. Y'all stole a hundred miles from my Atlanta race. Cause y'all complained too damn much. Why can't Shut we up. get 500 miles at like Homestead? Shut up. Two, like should... two dates. One of them has to be longer than the other one. And now I we feel got two like 400 mile what races we need to Atlanta. do. We could we could make Kansas one of the Kansas races could be 500, like that'd be kind of cool. Like, why do we need Texas to be 500 miles? Like, you pick right. the worst intermediate right. to be the longest. I don't know. You, you know what? Give us give us 500 miles at Homestead, like you said first. Yes, that yeah. would be. Screw it. Let's do it. Um, yeah. It's down. I'm not Drew. I am not doing 500 miles at Bristol, but Drew did have another point. I did want to get to, um, um, I, well, let me, let me, I never said my uh, next four out. So yeah, Chase Briscoe, Alex Bowman. Um, and then mm, I think Daniel Suarez is going to point his way in. I think Ross he's is definitely going to get, he's going to get cashed out on everything that he's <sighs> this round. And I think there's going to be one guy that's going to have bad luck throughout this round of eight, but I don't think it's Denny Hamlin. Really? Oh, okay. Say, yeah, you might pay for I'm this. I'm going one. to say 
that William Byron is going to be the bad luck guy on this round. That, that makes and sense. And I think I just... that Alex Bowman is going to um, – he and Alex Bowman are going to be out, and Austin Centric is going to be in. I feel like well, something that's been on my mind for like the past five months is that if Hamlin gets eliminated this round and Chastain doesn't, something's going to happen in Martinsville. Like that, that that's going to happen because yeah. I think Hamlin is probably the main favorite that's most likely to get eliminated in this round because he's bad at the Roval. Yeah. And I think he ranks 21st on row courses this year. So that's, that's a pretty concerning thing for me. So I, feel I don't like, disagree with you, but I think, I think he's probably going to come in clutch and he's going to be the first playoff driver to win, and that's going to be at Talladega. Ooh, that's going to be pretty interesting. But yeah. I'm hoping for that because he has not finished a super speedway race clean since Talladega last fall, which was a rain delay. Outside of that, he has been wrecked every single time. And yeah. it's, it's just he's he's paying his the debts ones he, for the, the good ones luck that he, he finishes this, he, he's won the last. He's paying you know. his debts for the good luck. Yeah. You know, I think I think something's gonna happen in Martinsville for sure between those two. So we had one good, really good fan question um, today from Drew. It says, "Okay, on Dega, is there any reason for the entire playoff list not to just ride in the back? Why would you not just hook up this is with a McLeod fun and ride?" I so guess. first of all, Drew, I know you're here because you're always participating. I do want to ask you. Um, kind of precursor to what I'm going to say. I'll let Nathan go first. Have you watched the NASCAR playoffs before? Um, because, uh, and when did you start watching the NASCAR playoffs? Because that's going to kind of move around what my answer is going to be. Yeah. I feel like my number one thing is that the points, I think third through 12th are separated by 14 points. So, Whoever goes out there and gets a bunch of stage points at Talladega, they're gonna they're gonna be looking pretty good for the next week. So I feel like it puts everybody in a box to where they can't lay back. But what I do think is gonna happen, there's gonna be eleven to twelve guys all racing for stage points, and they're all gonna crash trying to get stage points. And the one guy that lays back is probably gonna profit off of everybody else. But at the same time. I can't blame them for racing for stage points because they have to do it. You know, there's, yeah. there's 14 points between them. There's not enough of a gap to where you could just sit back like Hamlin did one year because he was plus 50 or whatever, you know? So, yeah. So in the same vein, what I'm going to do is first of all, Drew says that he's been watching since before the playoffs, been watching throughout the whole chase era, 2004, whatever. Do you remember when Talladega was the round of 16 or round of 12 cutoff race and not the middle race? Um, because if you go back and you watch those races, we had four JGR cars or three JGR cars um, in 2015, I believe. Maybe it was 2016, right around in the back all day. And Denny Hamlin was the only one up front at racing uh, Austin Dillon for that final cutoff yeah. line. They don't do that because NASCAR moves the race to the middle of the round and they can't afford to do that anymore. And like Nathan said, when the, when you look at points right now, um, there's only one guy that might have a shoe in. He almost lost his his chance to be into the round of 12, and that's Chase Elliott at, at, thir- at 40 points. He's got a 15-point lead over second bit. place Joe Logano. He, he can sit in the back. 
he's got 15 points to spare. That's two, two, two stage worth of points that he can lose. And he's good at road courses and he's decent at mile and a half. So he, he's pretty good this round. He's, he's probably a good shoe in for, for the round of eight. No question. But when you get to Joe Logano and you look at Joe Logano and you look at Austin Sendrick, that's the first and last place from, from second on second, second and 12th place guys. They're separated by 19 points. They oh, that's cannot, so bigger than I thought, but they can't, they can't, they can't afford to lose. Yeah. I think and, Hamlin in particular has got to be the guy because he's so bad at the Charlotte Roval that if he isn't either locked in with a win or if he isn't plus, I think 50 is my number. If he is not plus 50, he's not safe at the Roval. So, because, so Hamlin is tied with Bell and Blaney for sixth place and they're at thir- 30, yeah, 13. They are gonna, only, Hamlin's going to have to get stage points. They're only four points above the cut line right now. Yeah, they're going to so have to go. So that means five points separate the like guys they gotta from get six stage to points. 12. Like if Every, Hamlin does not, can. if he doesn't win one of the next two races, he's going to have to, like, he's going to need at least 50-point cushion. Because I know at the Roval one year where he was, he just ran around in the back because he didn't have to run that well. I think he was plus 47 was the number so if he can get that that number again then he's safe but that would require a lot because he'd have to win either one or both stages this week he'd have to finish in the top five and he'd probably have to finish in the top 10 at talladega yeah so drew says have a solid texas right around at Dega and shoot for a mid-pack roll i think the only two guys that can do that are chase Elliott and joe logano if joe logano yeah. gets in trouble at at texas or the roval he's out if yes. Chase Elliott DNFs Talladega and then gets in trouble at at Texas or the Roval, then he's out. So I think I think nobody's safe if shit hits the fan at Talladega yes. and they have a bad race at the other two. So these guys are gonna have to play it conservative, but they're gonna be have to be very aggressively conservative. Yeah, they're gonna they're have to go for Sage. Joe Logano or Chase Elliott. I because think I think what at, Chase Briscoe. Oh, go ahead. You're looking at seven points between six and twelve right now. I think what Chase Briscoe said, he said that guys are going to eliminate themselves with mistakes. Yeah. So their only goal is to just don't fall too far below the cut line, and then at the roval, whatever happens, happens. Which with how road courses at stages are with stage racing, you could the guy that's ten points below the cut line could opt for a different strategy and just go for the stage wins, and that's twenty points right there. That's twenty mm-hmm. positions on the track. So if you have a 10th place car at the Roval and you're not going to win the race, just go for the stages, do the opposite of everybody else. And you're plus 20, you know, you've gained 20 points. Let's look at a guy that can, can do something like that. Um, at a plate track who's, who's, well, I guess most of these guys are really good at, at, uh, at the Roval. Um, so let me let me go and, and say not one of the bottom four, but Ryan Blaney. He's he's five points above the cutoff because he's tied for sixth. Mm-hmm. He's good at Texas, but if yeah. he has a bad round at Texas, he can he can easily go snag eighteen points, um, finish second in both of those stages and sit pretty um, and go for the win and, and and not have to worry about having a bad point today. Um, so these guys can set themselves up, but they're gonna have to do it with being aggressive in stage one and two to even yeah. try to go for a win um, because nobody's comfortable as of yet. Not, that changes drastically with, with what happens this weekend at Texas. Uh, so we'll just have to see. Um, it's going to be an entertaining round. Um, 
it's just because of the point spread and how small that is. But other than that, I think it's just going to be a standard. It's going to be the the least um, the least racy of the three rounds, if that makes sense. Uh, but I think we pretty much got everything covered. Uh, I want to thank you guys for coming on. I know we got on a little bit late, and that of course meant that uh, Keith had to go. Um, his his absolute max was 9 p.m. and he left at 9 p.m. Um, mm-hmm. I want to thank you guys for coming on for his first show and um, you know be looking forward to him coming next week because I'm not going to be here so that leaves right. him and Colton and then Nathan if he's free um, so I'm really looking forward to the future of Fan Fuel having four solid guys plus Jared if he ever decides to show back up. Yeah, um, so we've got us, so, and we've got a website. We've yeah. got everything yeah. right now is looking pretty good. Yeah, everything is looking pretty good, um, as as Nathan said. Um, go check out that website, Fanfuel, uh, Fanfuel FanfuelMSM on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, capital F, capital F, capital MSM, except for on Instagram, who doesn't use capital letters, um, which is just odd to me. Uh, and then also, if you have been watching the ticker at the bottom of the screen, we do have a Fan Fuel Pit Box Discord. You can uh, go to the link on the bottom of the screen. It'll be scrolling by just a few seconds. It's been there all, all of the time that we've been on. It's on there all the time that we stream every week. So just take a look at that um, and go towards that link and come hang out with us. We're using that for discussion between us during you know races, but also to get your guys' input on what's subject matters we want to do uh because you know we're we're gonna start getting into the off season and we'll be doing more subject based uh shows rather than you know what happened last weekend what's happening next weekend um so we'll get back into that the what if type deals stuff like that history stuff like that and this can be really fun we're always having fun here on fan fuel we'd love for you to be a part of it hop on the pit box with us become a gas can over on our discord other than that These guys will see you next week at the same time, 730, uh, and I will see you in two weeks. And other than that, thanks for stopping by. Welcome again to Keith Merrick. Have fun at work tonight because I assume you're probably still watching. Um, Other than that, have a good night, everyone. All right.